0: Scriptures teach us that when uh, Paul and Barnabas arrived at this city called Antioch in what we know today as Turkey, they went to the synagogue to to worship. And uh, in a typical Jewish worship service in the synagogue, there would be a reading of the law, the books of Moses, and then there would be a reading from the prophets. And once those readings were done, then oftentimes they would ask if someone had a word. And they came to Paul and Barnabas and they said, do you have a word of exhortation for us? And Paul said, yeah, sure do. And they said, well, come up and do this. So he stood up and it says, motioning with his hands, he then began a message. And I want to read to you the sermon that Paul preached as he stood before this church, stood before the synagogue in Antioch. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior Jesus, as he promised Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And that was his sermon. And when he finished his sermon, he began to get some reaction from the people. And he got some pretty good reactions. But before we look at the reactions, I want you to look back at this sermon for just a moment. Because as he starts the sermon, he talks about men of Israel and those who fear God, which means that in that congregation, if you were that congregation, a number of you would be Jewish believers. I mean, Jewish uh, 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 patriarchs, people who were followers of the Jewish faith. And there would be others that came along and became converts to Judaism. But then there were also some people that were Gentiles or Greeks who they knew that there was one God and they liked the fact that they could come to the synagogue and worship this one God, but yet they had not, not joined Judaism. They had not become Jewish. And so in this crowd of people, he stands up and he begins to share this message. And I, I want us to zero in on this because in this message, this message, there's, there's three parts of it that I want us to look at. And the first thing is this message is a plan. And the plan is the free gift of God. Now, if you follow the way that, um, that Paul talks about and shares his message, he does a historical narrative. He begins to describe this plan of God to let the people know that just as Jesus was not just something that happened, but God had been planning this for years. In fact, he didn't go back, but he could have gone back to Genesis and, and from the very beginning, uh, from the foundations of the world, that God had begun to plan this redemption. And, and you see, what happened was, is that he starts out and begins to talk about how God chose a nation, chose a people, took them through the wilderness, took them through Egypt, I mean, had them through Egypt, then took them to the wilderness. Then he went in and they put them in the promised land. And as they're in the promised land, there was a, some prophets that, that were there and some judges. And then all of a sudden there was a king, Saul. And after King Saul, then there was David. And David was a man after his own heart. And he said, and from David's seed, from his offspring, there will come a savior. And he says, this Jesus is the savior that God had promised years and years and years and years and years, and years ago. And he says, this Jesus came. And when this Jesus came, he fulfilled all the prophets, what all the prophets have been saying for years, the same scriptures that, that y'all have been reading uh, in, the, in what we call today the Old Testament. What y'all have been reading, he says, all of those were fulfilled and yet you had him killed. And he was killed on a tree. He was crucified. Then his body was taken down. He says, but I've got good news for you. God raised him from the dead. And so when he came to them, he says, this is the good news that you have good news that you can be reconciled to God, good news that your sins can be forgiven. And and so as he's sharing this word with them, I I love as he begins to talk through it, he says, and God raised him from the dead. That's a positive. And then he gets over here and he says, and now I have for you good news that this Jesus, this savior forgives sins. He has paid the penalty for all of your sins. This is good news. Now, as we go go through through this message, there's some of you today that right now, this is what you need to hear, and that is the fact that there is good news, and that there is good news, and that that separation that you feel from God, that God has provided a way for you to come and to be connected to God. I know sometimes in the sports world, there'll be a team that'll be on a losing streak, and, and there'll be commentators that will say, they just need to get a W. They just need to get a win. They just need to have something good happen. Well, some of you right now in your life, you just need a W. You just need something good to happen. It seems like every time you open up your phone, you get an email, you get a text, or you get a letter, or you get a phone call, it seems just bad news, one after another. And and I want to tell you, there's a W for you today, and that is the good news. And that is Jesus Christ has died for your sins, God has raised him from the dead, and because God has raised him for the dead, he has covered your sins and has given you an opportunity to be a part of God's family, which is huge. So he comes and he's speaking at the synagogue and he's speaking to this people and he says, I'm here, I've got you good news and I've got a plan and it's been a plan that God has had and it's gone all throughout the ages and now all of a sudden it's come to fruition and I'm here sharing it with you, offering you this opportunity to make this decision. Now let me tell you some more good news and that is that this salvation is free. It is a free gift. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is free. It's a free gift. It means, and the reason it's free is because there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to buy it. You don't have to do so many things in order to receive this gift of salvation. It is a gift. It is free, but yet it is costly. It cost God his son's life. Where Jesus came and he went through all the physical, emotional, and spiritual um, battles to, and died a death for us so that we could have salvation and that we could become the children of God. So it was costly to God, but it is free to us, and it's called the gift of salvation. That where God is, presents it to you and says, you can receive this gift you don't have to do anything. You don't have to work for it. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. It's because God loves you so much that his son died for you. And so as Paul presents this plan, he says, this is the plan we call like the plan of salvation. It's a plan of God. And it gets right here to the end and he's, and it's a free gift. And it's to give for every person to receive And the great thing is, is if you're sitting here today and you say, you know, I've heard a lot about about this Jesus and about Christianity, I've never made any decision. I keep thinking there are a number of things I need to do. No. The scripture will say that that if you confess your sins and come before God and ask him to forgive us, forgive you of your sins, and to accept him into your life, you become saved. I mean, he comes in. This salvation uh, is complete. So it's a free gift. And so as he talks and begins to share with these people, you're going to see that this is going to cause a little bit of consternation on some of the response that he gets. So the plan is it's a free gift of God. But here's the proclamation. And the verse that I kept being drawn to throughout this sermon, the proclamation is that there's a freedom from sins, in fact, freedom from everything that separates you from God. Freedom from sins and a freedom from everything that separates you from God. In verse 38, he says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. When he says, therefore, he's bringing the whole message to a conclusion. Therefore, all these things have happened. Therefore, I want to tell you the bottom line. You can be freed from all the sins, everything that has separated you from God, you can be freed from this. Freed from everything. Everything. Freed from your sins, free from your guilt, free from your strongholds, free from addictions, whatever it may be that is holding on to you. He says you can be freed from all of this. That is the power of the gospel. And that is the power of what happens when Christ comes into your heart and comes into your life. And it says the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives you the strength and the power to overcome these things. He says you can be free from all of this. And you see in today's world when we go through dealing with our sins and dealing with our guilts. There's a lot of things that we go to for help. We may go to counseling. Uh, we may go to counseling. We may try to do good works and try to serve others. We may go on mission trips. Some people say, I want to give money to charitable organizations. Some people say, I think I just need to meditate. Uh, some will recite some mantras. And if I just keep saying this over and over, that will make me feel better. Some will go on retreats. Of self-discovery to find themselves for some it will be reading some self-help books for some it'll be positive mental attitude now all of those things and some of those things can be good to help you to cope with whatever you're going through however none of them will take it away none of them remove the sin none of them remove the guilt it is through the blood of christ it removes the sin and the guilt And then these other things that we can employ can help us to walk and take that journey. But until we come and look in God's word and look at a relationship with Christ, that is what takes away the sin and that is what takes away the guilt. That is the spilt blood of Jesus Christ. And so this is what his proclamation is. His proclamation is is that we can have a freedom from sin and a freedom from everything that separates you from God. In fact, in in verse 38 and 39, it literally means this. By the man, everyone believing is justified. By the man, that's Jesus. Everyone who believes is justified. That means that they are set right with God. That means that they are acceptable to God. So I am over here lost in my sins and I am separated from God. But because of what Christ has done on the cross, and I receive him, it says that you are now acceptable to God. You have been set right with God. You are now free from the sins. You are free from the, from the power of that sin and free from the penalty of that sin. And you are in a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. And that is the message that is being proclaimed. And so when you come to Christ, it says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. That means everything is new. That means you're now acceptable to God. Things that had separated from you to God, now you're back at one with God. And this is where a lot of people run into problems, and that is there are things in your life that you continue to think are so bad that I can never be in a right relationship with God. And, and so we come and we hear and we listen to the messages and we say, I'd love to have that hope, I'd love to have that freedom but you don't know what I've done. And because of what we're done or what we're doing, we sit there and we, and we think that this has kept us separated in a relationship with God. But see, that's just a lie of Satan. Because there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. So Christ has done everything for you. And what God says is, you come to me. He says, now when you come to me, the Holy Spirit will come in and we want to clean up those areas of your life. And you're going to fall, come back, come back. So some of that happens during our journey. We want to keep that, but that relationship stays the same. But see, there's some that will sit here and say, I would love to get into that relationship, but because of what happened last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't think I can ever do that. And that's just a lie of Satan. Because his desire is for you not to come into a relationship with God. His desire is for your life to be destroyed. But what the Apostle Paul says is you are free from everything. You're free. If you come to Christ, you are free. And so, you know, I I thought about when he makes that statement that we are freedom from our sins and we are free from everything. do Do you think about who's saying that? I mean, this is, this is Paul, who was called Saul of Tarsus. This is the guy who made his living arresting Christians. And this is the guy who would arrest Christians and would take them, have them imprisoned, and in some cases have them killed. Now, do you not think that somewhere in his journeys, that when he is speaking, that as he speaks to a congregation like I'm speaking to you, that there wouldn't be one or maybe more people that all of a sudden would step up and say... You know, that was my cousin that you arrested about four years ago. You're the guy that had my father killed. You see, what happened is they made decisions to follow this Jesus you've talked about. And then you came up and you had him imprisoned and killed. And I didn't really buy it then. And I'm sitting right here and I'm really not wanting to buy it now because look who it is that's telling me this. And yet, Paul is looking him in the eyes and saying, you are free. And he's saying, my life has changed. Old things are past. Behold, all things are new. And he says, Christ can change your life. And don't let what has taken place in the past keep you from coming forward to what God wants you to do in the future. And he wants to do right now and in the future. And so... When we listen to the words of Paul, we're not listening to a person that has just lived this wonderful, pristine life that is saying, you know, hey, uh, I don't really have have a whole lot of heavy sins. Yes, he had to deal with those. And so whatever it is that that may be holding you back, I just want to let you know today that the message that is proclaimed is a message of freedom and that you're free from your sins and you're free from your past and there can be a new start. And this is what Paul's wanting them to know. And he says, there's a freedom. There's justification. You are set right with God and you are acceptable to God. Now what happens is, is that a number of times we try to step over into that. And I want to speak to those that have done that. And you've made that decision and you're there with Christ. But then what Satan does, he comes up behind you and he begins to remind you of those things that have happened in the past. And he begins to remind you on those deficiencies and all of a sudden... You begin to listen to him, and then there become these insecurities. I'm not as good as this person or this person. There come these inadequacies. I don't think I'm up to the challenge. And every time someone presents a challenge, you always step back. I'm inadequate. Then there are these insecurities that you have, these feelings of worthlessness, feelings of rejection. And then when you take this worthlessness and feelings of rejection and these fear, it begins to breed anxieties and difficulties. And see, all of that is where Satan wants to continue to to hold on to your life and keep you from enjoying the benefits of salvation and being a part of God's family. But what Paul says is that you're free from all of that listen, you're free from those insecurities and inadequacies, that fear of rejection and those things. Your faith in Christ, your walk in Christ can give you the strength to be able to deal with those issues. Because you see, we take those issues with us and it affects our job. It affects what we do in school. It affects how we look at our intelligence. It affects our dating relationships. It affects all areas of our lives. And the apostle Paul is saying, listen, you're free. (laughs) You're free from everything. You're free from your sins. Come over here. Be a part of God's family. Be that, a part of that workmanship in which God has created you for good works. And so as he's preaching, he makes this proclamation that there's a freedom from your sins. And so he says, you know, I want you to listen to what I'm saying and then, and then realize that, that you are a child of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're a saint. You're set apart. That's what the Bible says. And when it says saint, doesn't mean you're perfect. It just, that's what it means. It means you're set apart. Set apart for God. And so all of this is, is there for us. And, and if we can understand that, that whenever you read about Paul's journeys, and it says he preached here, he preached there, he preached here, this is the message that he preached. This is, this is the, kind of the, the nuts and bolts of what he was sharing. And that there is a plan. And that God has had a plan for years and years and years And it culminated in the person of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. And he says there is a proclamation, that proclamation of freedom. And it's a freedom, it's a free gift, but at the same time, it's a freedom from your sins and a freedom from everything that shackles you. And that he is there to give us a new life and to give us freedom. And one of the, some of the saddest things about believers is that we've made that decision, we've crossed that bridge, we've walked into God's family, but we still are so shackled with all these other things that we just can't enjoy the life that God has created for us. And we're not carrying out the purposes that God has for us because all these insecurities, inadequacies, inferiorities, all of these things, we just hold on to. And he says there needs to be freedom on there. Well, he preached this message. After he preached the message, look what it says in verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. As the people went out, so they finished and they're leaving the synagogue. And the big buzz is, I'd like to hear this again. I want to hear some more of this. This is great. Now, I have no idea. I just laughed when I read it because it says, you know, as they went out and uh, they begged these things might be told, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, uh, they followed Paul and Barnabas. I'm just wondering if they did that, that thing that we used to do in Baptist churches where the pastor would always stand out at the door as people left. How many of you were in a church where the pastor was at the door and you had to walk by? Raise your hand. Whoa, look at all those. All those people down there. We had, you stand there, and that's what we did. And we did that at First Baptist Rust. You stand at the door and everybody walks by and, and they lie to you, you know? And that was a great message. That was a great message. Well, I, you were sacked out over there the whole time. Don't tell me that was a, a great message. And, uh, but you know, you go by, it was great, pastor and all those. And, and, and so you're shaking the hands and you're kind of hearing up from the congregation as to how well things went. You kind of get a little temperature uh, of how the service went. Well, you know, as you as you walk through there, and uh, um, this 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 individual's already passed away, so I can tell this story, but. Um, In Ruston, when I was standing there and shake hands, I I felt really bad. There was a guy that came through, and as soon as he shook his, he had suspenders. As soon as he shook my hand, his suspenders popped and his britches started sliding down, (laughs) and I felt so sorry for him, you know. And he like grabbed and and went on out over there. So, uh, so we discontinued that. That's why we don't do that uh, today. But. But as people are walking out, I mean, people are walking out and there's a buzz about this. And then in verse 43, it says, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews, devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And so these people are following them throughout the week. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're still teaching and they're urging these people to follow the grace of God. It's the grace of God. It's not the ceremonial works of the law. It's the grace of God. And they keep talking about this. It's the grace of God. You need to follow it. And they're fired up. They said, we can't wait till next Sabbath. So look what happens next Sabbath. In verse 44, it says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Hello, Whoa, almost the whole city. Now, you got to understand this. There in Antioch, where they are, we'll call it in Turkey, the majority of the people there are Greeks and Gentiles. The Jewish people are, are not the majority. So when you say about the whole city showed up for the service, there were the usual Jewish people that were coming to the synagogue, and then it was almost overrun with Gentiles and Greeks and others that came because they had heard so much about the message. There was such a buzz that was going on. And so I'm sitting there, I got to verse 44 and I said, now this Sabbath is going to be unbelievable. I mean, you just think about it. Think about those services when this place is like overflowing. Man, it's just that buzz in the crowd and that expectation. You just love that. And that's exactly what was happening. And so man, Paul, he's fired up and he's ready. But then we got a little problem. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. I'm thinking Paul is saying, I didn't see this coming. You know, he prepared, he's prayed up, he and Barnabas, uh, they kind of put hands together and say, hey, break team. And they come in, he's ready to lay out this message. But the Jewish people, the leaders, were jealous. Now, they were all excited that first meeting. They weren't real thrilled maybe about the message. because That was a little different, actually, than what they were accustomed to. But when they saw the crowds, they got jealous. You know why? I'll tell you why I think. You know, one guy says, you know, I've been, we've been teaching here for 23 years, and we ain't never seen a crowd like this before. These guys come from out of town, and this place is packed. A little bit of jealousy. I know you don't think pastors get jealous. But there's a little bit of jealousy happening right there. Look at these crowds that are in here. But it's not just them. It's the members of the synagogue. Because, see, the members of the synagogue who always sat in their same pew. You're with me, aren't you? They've been pushed out of their pew. And it's not by some Jewish family who's there for a baby dedication. mm mm it's these Greeks and Gentiles over there. And they're not even filming the service. I mean, they have no excuse to be this, sitting this close. And they have pushed us out of our comfortable seats. And guess what? When we drove up, we couldn't find any close parking spot. Even the first time visitor spots were taken that I usually park in. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and now I had to park all the way down the hill. And I've had to take that long walk that usually we reserve for visitors to make that long walk, right? I had to take that long walk. I didn't get in my pew. And I'm telling you what, I was not ready to worship. I can just tell you right there. It was just my spirit, my spirit, you know? And it was, I can't do it. I can't do it. And all of a sudden, people get a little upset. They also, the reason they're upset was that message. Because, see, in that message, he says, you're saved by grace. Now, most of these people that were these Gentiles and Greeks, what they heard is, Hey, if you want to come and to know this God that we're worshiping, you need to become like us. There's certain things you've got to do. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do the Jewish dietary laws. And they're putting all these rules on these people. Now, all of a sudden, Paul says, you don't have to do that. You're saved by grace. And so you are telling me that a Greek or a Gentile can know the same God that I know, and they don't have to do anything different? And they said, no. And that really chapped them. So you put all those things together, and they were upset, congregation. And they didn't wait till the end of the service. It says in the scripture, they began to contradict him. They began to stand up in the middle of the message and began to argue with him. And not only did they argue with him, but it says they were reviling him, which means they were slandering him and saying mean things, hard things about Paul. Whoa. He just didn't see that happening. This place is filled, and now all of a sudden he's being attacked and his message is being attacked. And as he's being attacked and the message is being attacked, Paul and Barnabas both boldly step up in verse 46, and it says... And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And he does this everywhere he goes. I'll go to the synagogue first. I'm preaching to the Jews first. Since you thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles as you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He just laid it out. He said, I've done it. I've given the message to you that are the Jewish people here. You're rejecting it. I just want to let you know we're turning our attention and we're going towards the Gentiles. But when they said that, there was cheering and excitement. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. I mean, this would is, this is be good. Now, I don't know if this happened, but if it's in today's society, it probably would have been all the Gentiles would have stood up and started cheering this is for you this message of hope and salvation and freedom is for you and so they're cheering over here and it's interesting when you read that that does not mean that paul says i'm not going to share with the jews anymore you follow his trips and everywhere he goes he starts first in the synagogue and usually he would get rejected and then he would go to the gentiles it says in verse into 48 And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So they stayed there a little bit of time. And all of a sudden, God's word is spreading throughout the region. And so we're seeing some exciting things take place. Well, just then the Jews are really getting tired of this. So look what they did. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They took the leading women of the of, of the city. And there are different views on that. Some are that in that culture, women had places of leadership, of strong places of leadership. And, and many of them were attracted to, uh, to, the, to the Jewish faith. And they would come and they'd be a part of it. And so they got them and they got them stirred up. Some say they were also women who were maybe married to some of the leading men in the community. and so they got them to get their husbands stirred up so they got these people of renown in antioch of turkey and as they got them all fired up they began to tell paul he needed to leave and it says they drove them out it was a forceful pushing out and it says that they stirred up persecution they drove them out of their district they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. Off, they shook off the dust of their feet. It's interesting. Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out uh, in the book of Matthew, he says, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, just shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And so that's what he did. They just shook off the dust and said, We're heading to Iconium. And they left. So did that put a damper on everything? Verse 42, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Persecution did not accomplish what they wanted it to. It was to silence them. But all it did was it just energized them. And, and that term and, and that, uh, the verb usage there is that there was, it was like a continual filling that they have. And so these people were continually filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to have this joy, even though even they were under persecution, they continued on. You know this thing about freedom. You read books and and we've got our staff reading and our deacons are reading The Insanity of God and it's about all the persecuted Christians. just an um, amazing uh, book. But throughout it, whenever believers are imprisoned and somebody tries to to kind of work them over and says, you know, we've imprisoned you. You're in prison. Their belief and their response is, yes, but but actually we're free because we're free in Christ. And they can't handle that. They want to feel like we're controlling you. We've got you you in prison. They said, no, but we really have freedom. We've got freedom in Christ. And, And so even with this persecution, they moved on with joy, to the next door. The disciples that were there, the converts, they had joy and they were filled with God's Spirit. So what you see is you see this plan and and you see this amazing proclamation, but let me just close with this, and that is the proposal. And that is the proposal is this, and that is you are free to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. It's your choice. You accept Jesus or you reject him. And when you do, there's an impact on this decision. First of all, it'll impact your eternity. If you look in verse 46, when the Apostle Paul talked to them, he told them this, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, I am laying out to you how you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But if you thrust that aside, then you're unworthy of eternal life. What you're doing is you're throwing that away. And you are choosing that you don't want to have eternal life with God, you want to be able to spend eternity separated from God and spend eternity in hell. That's the choices that you have. This is why this is so important. But you have the freedom to do that. No one's going to force you to make that decision. You're free to accept or free to reject, but it has eternal consequences because your eternity is determined by decisions you make while you're here on earth. And you either accept it or reject it. And that's exactly what Paul said. And I love the way he phrased it. You just felt you're unworthy of eternal life. Okay, if you don't want to do that, take your chances at the judgment. But your sins, you will be judged for your sins. And a holy God will not allow sins to be unpunished. And so you can either take what Christ has done and paid that penalty for your sins and accept that offer or just say, no, I'm going to go on it on my own, and I'll stand before God with my sins and a holy God. And what he'll do, he will exercise that verdict, and that will be that you'll spend eternity separated from him. You accept it or or reject, you're free to do that. It affects eternity, but it also affects your purpose on earth. It affects your purpose on earth. The verse that was that was quoted is Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. I want you to look at this. In Isaiah 49 verses 3 and 6, this is what, what God has said to the prophet. He says, and God said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light For the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I want you to listen very carefully. Through the prophet Isaiah, God was telling him, The Jewish nation, you are you have a purpose, and that is that Jesus will come. And 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 as Jesus comes and provides salvation for you, you are to be this kingdom of priests. He says, I don't want you just to be talking to those that are within the tribe of Jacob uh you know what i want you to do is i want you to be out into the whole world you're to be a light to shine to the whole world but what happened is is when they rejected that then all of a sudden he says you've lost that now we've got to go to the gentiles and the gentiles will be the one that will take the message to the whole world so not only do you miss out on eternity but they lost out on their purpose as to how god had set this nation apart to be a kingdom of priests and so, so for you, when you were created, and it says God knew you, he knit you together in your mother's womb. And as you were created, you were created for a purpose, a purpose that will be complete in Jesus Christ. When you reject Christ as Savior, then what you are doing is you are taking the purposes for which God has created you, and you're putting them off to the side, and you're running your own path. And whether you feel like that's a good path or a bad path, it is not the best path. Because the creator of the universe who designed you in your mother's womb has a purpose for you. And when you don't connect with him, you lose the purpose. And so this message of salvation, and I keep on going to say this over and over again, this is not a message just so that... I can accept this and I can feel good and, and all this. It's so much more than that. It affects your eternal destination and it affects your purpose in life. And so my prayer to you is that as you have heard the message shared and you see that it is a free gift of God and it gives you freedom from sin and a freedom from everything else. You also have the freedom to accept or reject. It's my prayer that if you've never made that decision to accept it, that today would be a day to say, I want to do that. Or at least to take first steps towards that. To say, I'm ready to make that, make that decision. And for others of us, a vast majority of us, who have made that decision, we've accepted it, may we also claim the freedom in Christ that we have. And may we come to him with those in, inferiorities, inadequacies, insecurities, and come to him and allow God's Spirit to deal with that. So that we don't get derailed from the purposes that God has for us. And that for every one of us to be that light to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Father, we thank you for your your word. Thank you for your message. We thank you for Jesus, for his death, the burial, the fact that you raised him from the dead. And I just pray that during these moments that your spirit will speak to our hearts. And Lord, that we won't be deterred from anything around us, but that our hearts will just be wide open for you to do a laser focus on us. And whatever it is that we're having to deal with, that we don't walk out of this worship center until we've dealt with it and we've dealt with you. And Lord, we know that you are a loving God. And that your desire is that we come into a right and a complete relationship with you. And we pray that will happen during this time of response. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.